The scripture for today's sermon comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good. Thanks for saying that back. It's awkward when you don't. Um, my name is Charlie Hall. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. I'm really glad to get to be with you guys today and, uh, and just share another rhythm of grace with you guys. Poet and philosopher Henry David Thoreau said, I wished to live deliberately, to face only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. We are really hungry for the fullest of life, and it's these rhythms of grace that get us to our greatest desires. In our most alone times, maybe at night at the edge of your bed, where there's no noise or TV, or maybe silently driving, in your car, your soul starts to speak its desire for deeper things. Something holy, something that's set apart, something that's more than what you see normally on planet Earth, something that doesn't need any sort of attachment or addiction to feel right. And I've had moments in this kind of silence where my heart and soul started to speak, something far past what I could hold in my hands. And at one point in my life, I came to these four little ideas. I used to call them pillars. Like, these are the things I wanted to build my life around these pillars. As the years have gone by, I've discovered they're more like little seeds that I really am hungry to protect. And this first little seed is actually the main seed that I want to protect, and it's my communion with God. And not so much all these rhythms of grace, what gets me to him, but just the communion of God where I can stop and open my hands and receive how much he loves me and be reminded of how much he loves me. The second little seed are my spiritual friendships, the, the friendships and relationships that keep pointing me to Jesus and fighting for me when I'm busted up or full of sin or brokenness, the men that, have, uh, that I've grown in relationship that come around my life and champion me, cheer me on when things are good and hold me up when things are hard. The third little seed is just the one I wanna protect is how to play really well in the world. You know, I, I do know that following Jesus is serious, but I think the good gifts of God helps us smile, laugh, eat big. I always think of my son when he was younger. I bought him a little uh, Lego set, and he sat at my feet. He was, you know, he was probably 15 or 16. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he was probably five or six years old, and he just sat at my feet and played with this Lego set, and he kept looking back up at me and just smiling. And that's how I think of that third little seed, that we want to play with God's gifts in this world. We want to smile. We want to look, keep looking back up at him and saying, thank you, God, for all you've given. And the fourth little seed 
is just giving my life away. I mean, left to my own devices, I would be in my home turned inward over and over. And I think for so many of us, even if we're extroverted, our life can be toward us over and over. And the seed to protect, that fourth little seed for me, is to keep giving my life away. We need these rhythms of grace to get us to our greatest desires, our fullest life. Rhythms of grace are stepping stones to help us get there. They are tangible ways to experience the burning heart of God. They are roots and anchors in a rootless and anchorless world. In early marriage, when Sarah and I would have a fight, it's only happened once or twice, but in early marriage, we would have a fight and we couldn't, we couldn't stop the conflict before it was time to go to bed. It just would keep going on and on. And you lay there and you feel the heat, not the good kind of heat, but the kind of heat that keeps you from going to bed. You feel furious, you know. And there was this one night where we just reached toward each other and grabbed each other's hands. You could still feel the hurt. You could still feel the conflict. And we just fell asleep like that. And that gets us to the morning, to a new place, to kind of have a new conversation, start fresh. That's how I think of as a rhythm of grace. Today we're talking about the grace rhythm of the Lord's day. And as Prince said in the 80s smash hit, let's go crazy, let's get nuts, let's jump in. Will you guys pray for me and um, I'm gonna pray for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Your ways aren't our ways. And so we welcome you and we invite you to speak and change our hearts and make us more like you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Good. Hey, today we're, we're talking about the Lord's Day and the Lord's Day is a day of coming around the resurrection of Jesus and how he offered us a new and living way. But I wanna draw just a small distinction between the Lord's Day and just kind of like many of our ideas of showing up to church and just being here on a Sunday because it's so much more than that. God blessed the Bible Belt, but it's messed with so many of us. And what was meant to become a powerful, what was meant to be powerful has become a powerful, a symbol or a performance, like a picture of a picture of a picture. And so many of us can stand in this moment right now and hold this blurry picture and go, I don't even know why I'm here. It's kind of like the first time I heard Eddie Vedder's voice from Pearl Jam. I felt like he reached through the radio and grabbed my shirt and pulled me forward. And then years later, you hear Scott Stapp, and you're like, something's familiar but irritating. We need to, thank you, Ryan. We need to return to the original intention of the Lord's day. To the church hurt, I've been there. To the prodigal, I am that often. To the skeptic, I fight that daily. Hang in there with me because I'm not talking about just showing up to church more, being a better attender. I'm not talking about any of those things. My church journey has been wrought with mountains and valleys. I was a church kid, and uh, then I was a rebellious church kid, and then I was just rebellious, and then God radically saved me, and I gave myself in full surrender. I was a passionate young minister, 
I helped plan a church, build a church, pour into a church. I got to give my life traveling around the country, offering the gospel to people. And in my early 30s, I ended up on the back row of a church that I helped plant, looking at the people while they worshiped, thinking, I don't even fit with these people anymore. I felt like such a mess. I felt like life had just torn apart. Life was busted. I was so full of pain, and I sat with my, at that time, six-year-old and my five-year-old in my arms, and I thought, I don't fit with these people. You fast forward a few years later, and God never gave up on me. I tried to remain faithful, walk in character with him, but I'd walked away from the gathering of the local church for a couple of years. And in so many ways, he just held my heart and got me to the next space, and I, a couple of years later, after a lot, of, a lot more craziness, I walked into the back of Frontline Church downtown, and I unzipped my chest metaphorically, and I just said, God, you're going to have to help me love your people again. I hadn't lost love for Jesus. I had lost love for the people and for the gathering, and I didn't understand what it meant and why we were like we are and why we said the things that we said and did the things that we did, but so often our hearts and our lives looked quite different. So my big prayer was just like, God, help me. Help me, this is your wife. This is a local expression of your bride. Help me to, to love her. And I began to rediscover the original picture of God's heart for his gathering. John Stott states, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. And if you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. With resurrection at center, a new and living way invites you and I to be resurrected. The original picture is that we are a a resurrection people, followers of a resurrected king. The Lord's day is all about our Lord that was raised from the dead. And so gathering on the Lord's day is a natural response of who we've been made to be in Jesus. And also we need a resurrection. Chapter 10, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we now have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. The Lord's day is a celebration of the risen Lord and that he's making all things new. The Lord's day is encountering the living God in his words his prayers, and with each other. It's the core activity of the visible church. It reminds us of who we are, what God's done, and how he wants to use us in the world. The Lord's day is an anchor of grace that buoys us to the finish line. And there are so many days that I'm scared just not to finish well. And I show up week after week on the Lord's day, and I celebrate the resurrection, that he's making all things new, and I'm reminded again, I can keep walking, he's holding me. He's with me. The resurrection gave Jesus' earliest followers a new and living way. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection gives a new and living way. Adrian Warnock says this in Raised with Christ. After Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrected Lord appeared to hundreds of men and women, transforming fearful doubters to boldly proclaiming Christ's death and resurrection. These fearful doubters were transformed and willing to endure persecution and even die for this reality. As a result of this proclamation, the church was born and grew with Sunday as the primary day of worship, calling it the Lord's Day. 
The church did not create the resurrection stories. Instead, the resurrection stories created the church. It's powerful. Together around the resurrection, and remember again that we need to be resurrected ourselves. The Lord's Day is the celebration of a new and living way. Listen to just a few of the things that the resurrection does. It's just a handful of them, but it's powerful for us to recall. When Jesus rose and was ascended, the sending of the Holy Spirit happened. So God actually came closer. Because of the resurrection, assurance of the gospel is found to be true. Because of the resurrection, forgiveness of and freedom from the power of sin can take place. Salvation by union with Jesus. Because of his rising, he's now the head of the church. In Acts, after his rising, we started to see physical healings take place. Comfort for the dying. The sending of gospel messengers all over the world. And again, the continued promise that God is making all things new. John Piper told me once in a book that I was reading, And the meaning of that day is that Jesus is risen and Jesus is Lord and Jesus is creator and Jesus is redeemer and Jesus is the only place of rest for the soul. It's a day for worshiping Jesus. It's a day for saying by what we do and don't do that Jesus, not our work and not the money we get from our work is our treasure and our meaning. It is a special day for the honor and the glory of the Lord, a day for mercy and for man. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection gave us a new and living way. And we need this way to meet us in our stories. We've been made a beautiful and a peculiar people, but we have heavy stories. We're a people of story. And in this room, there's all kinds of stories happening. Sometimes people look at the church and they think, similar to what I did, I don't fit with those good people. When my son was um, probably nine or 10, he grew up around artists and musicians and guys and ladies that had found a way to uh, make a, a short living making art and music. And these people looked peculiar, they looked crazy, they looked a little funky. And that was just his surrounding as a kid just growing up. And one day I took him to lunch at a little place downtown and uh, there was all these business people meeting, and uh, they had business suits and business briefcases, and they were having a business lunch, and they had pagers. It was that long ago. And uh, he was just kind of looking at everybody. And then he looked at me and said, Dad, are these the people that didn't go to college? <laughs> and I said, yes. The point is, is sometimes we, we can look at a group of people and we just have it wrong. We are a room full of stories, not of perfections, but a room full of stories that Jesus is gathering inside this, the greatest story of resurrection. In this room, either you or someone close to you has been touched by cancer or divorce or loss or betrayal, or depression, or anxiety, or addiction, or suffering, or sin, or some kind of brokenness. Our hearts have been 
orphaned in a thousand ways. Our hearts have been widowed in a thousand ways, and our hearts have been estranged in a thousand ways. This is the gathering of the weak and broken and criminal and prodigal, and just like the tax collector, we are the ones that beat our chest and say, Jesus, have mercy. We were the people asking, is anyone looking for me? Is anyone coming for us? And the Lord's day is a day that answers yes. Jesus has done all the work. He's bent low toward us. God has reached toward us when we could not reach toward him. God has seen us and moves toward us. And our stories collide with the resurrection story of the gospel. Chapter 10, verse 21 and 22 And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So that we're not just a room full of stories, we get together inside God's story. The Lord's day is a day to draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of Jesus' resurrection. Our busted up stories are caught up in the most beautiful story of resurrection and new life. Just like the prodigal returned, he came down the road and the father had been waiting for him and he looks. And even before this prodigal can say a word, the father is running toward him, falls on him, grabs him, reminds him of who he is, takes him back to where he belongs, throws a party. And this happens with every little prodigal piece of our own hearts that many of us in here wouldn't say, yeah, I'm a prodigal, and many of you don't even look like prodigals, whatever we think that looks like. But there are pieces of our heart right here, right now, including your preacher and pastor right now, in my heart, that as I come in on the Lord's day, I come running back to God, but even more than that, he's running back to me. In God's story, someone is looking for us in a real way. We're buoyed up and carried to the final feast. In Jesus, we see the face of God. In the Lord's day, the voice of God and the heart of God. The Lord's day rehearses a narrative that overcomes all of those lying narratives in our mind. The Lord's day is a place to embody this story and get back to God's original picture of this day. So we have our broken stories, and we have God's story, and it creates a brand new story. So this room full of hard stories is no longer just that alone, but we're a blood-bought community of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. This church is no longer just a building, brick, and mortar. It's a gospel mouthhouse. It's a place where Hunger and thirst and expectancy of the crucified, resurrected Jesus is stoked. In this tangible and mysterious gathering, the church is practicing heaven here, all eyes on Jesus. In the company of saints and angels and martyrs and creation, we gather and see the resurrected Jesus in the physical presence of each other. Gathering is a natural overflow of who we are. It's not just a box to check. Because we're resurrected people, it's a natural overflow to come and celebrate our resurrected king. It's a place where we inhabit the story and the narrative of the gospel, feasting on all its benefits. It changes how we gather and why 
The Lord's day is about the celebration and of the resurrection and how he's resurrected us in our stories. This day is a day together, remember and rehearse that gospel. We are a people with a confession of hope. Let's read verse 23 together. My third point is we are a people with a confession of hope. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How do we practice this resurrection story? How do we hold fast to our confession of hope? When you and I fall in a kind of love that we want to keep and be kept by, it's important that we build structures around it to maintain it. It's what marriage does for people who are in love. Holds it together so that when internal or external fire comes to burn things down, we have a structure that can hold us together. In a liturgy, what we do here on a Sunday morning, an order, and you have a liturgy to your life, an order to your life. But specifically here on the Lord's Day, this liturgy is a structure. It's a structure of worship intended to help us rehearse the resurrection story and to stoke our love. A liturgy invites us to enter the great story with your most real story, and it restores us. It unites spirit and word to stir up our desires and affections. A liturgy embodies and puts flesh on our desires. Those two years that I didn't go to church, that I didn't gather on the Lord's day with his people, I had all this unaimed desire for God, hunger for desire, love for desire, but I didn't know where to put it. I didn't know how to make it tangible. I didn't know how to live it out. And there's something of the structure of liturgy and the story that we rehearse here that helps us live that out. Our practice of the resurrection and God making all things new is just an overflow of who we are. I am actually my most real on the Lord's day. Where I used to think, oh, this is the place where people come in and fake it. I'm actually my most real on the Lord's day to bring a confession of sin as well as my longing, my surrender to God's word, my love for my community, all those four little desires that we were after in the beginning of this conversation, this is, a, this is one place that they get stoked. Remembering again that he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. So think about what happens, and maybe you're not cognizant of it as you come into this space. But we come in, and if we're on time, we hear a call to worship, reminding that God has been at work in our lives and in the world, that we didn't make this faith, but it's making us. In that call to worship, we get to join with the chant of heaven and earth, angels and elders, saints and martyrs, the church visible and invisible, we join the chant that says, holy, 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 three times. We begin to sing, and in our singing, all this affection starts to happen, not just our affection toward God, but his affection toward us. It's like a bonfire gets created in our singing because all those desires mixing with truth, that singing becomes a missile, warfare against the enemies of God and the gospel. 
That singing becomes a megaphone of the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God to save. So there's a high chance that even as we sing together and proclaim that people in the room's hearts are being affected, as we sing, it's like a fountain of truth coming out of our mouths and our hearts. And man, I've been times in the, just sitting in the church listening to people sing, and in my sadness or my depression, something changes in my heart because I hear the gospel being sung. I'm at my most real on the Lord's day because I get to confess sin, which is not just a natural bent for me. I wanna come off good in front of God and you guys. But on the Lord's day, I get to go, yeah, I have not loved God. I have not loved my neighbor. And that gospel collides with my sin story, and then I get to be reminded what Jesus has done in his resurrection to make me new again. To get to the place where we pause, we've sung, to get to the place where we pause and we look outside of these walls to intercede and to pray and to be in God's presence on behalf of a broken world, knowing that God is acting, shaping history, bringing biblical justice as our prayers reflect the kingdom of God. And we long for the return of Christ and his restoration of all things and we come expectantly asking God to do on earth as it is in heaven, pleading that the enchanted world of God's power and presence would come. That's really real for me, and it's not something I just naturally do. This is an aside, but someone from one of the other frontline congregations said, hey, you've basically just inhabited us to, to applaud after we say thanks be to God. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying, but how often do you do that during the week or month or year, just to stop and go, God has made me new. God has made me new. We don't do that. That's real on this day. To get to the welcome and to get to pass the peace of Christ to each other, to get to sense the communal love of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit with each other in the welcome. And then to stand beneath the fountain of God's word as the reading of the word is happening or the proclamation of the word and to get to see that change our hearts and our minds and our character just one little drip at a time, Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. And then to get to, re- to receive the communion feast of grace with tears and with some laughter. Remembering the cross and that Jesus is making all things new and that he's making us new. And then at the end, under the benediction under the blessing to open our hands and lift our eyes and then to be sent and be reminded, hey, don't go waste your life. Whatever job you have, if you're staying at home, if you're a teacher, if you're uh, an executive, whatever it is, don't waste your life. Give your life away so that we can see God do amazing things in the world and give beauty for ashes. This is the way we live out our confession of hope on this Lord's day, that Jesus is faithful And as we practice his presence, his ways, his word, we can shake off the lies of this world. Kevin Twitt, unfortunate name, says it like this. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what worship should be about? We gather to sing our songs so we will know the truth so well that we can go out into the world and we say, we don't believe your lies anymore. We won't be squeezed into your mold. And so we can speak to our fearful hearts and say, heart, I don't believe your lies anymore. 
Or as Charles Wesley put it, arise my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fear because Jesus can trump even what my heart says and Jesus does trump our hearts as he becomes beautiful and believable to you. That's why we gather in worship. God is using this gathering to mold us to the truth, restore our sanity, and open our eyes to see Jesus as beautiful and believable. The Lord's day is giving us truth, restoring our sanity, and opening our eyes to Jesus. God's presence in the presence of each other is bread and breath to our souls. Let's close with verse 24 and 25. We are a people of presence. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, we need the presence of God in the presence of others. The Lord's day is a natural overflow of who we are and we're meant together to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and him making all things new. We're meant to do that together, not alone. We need rhythms of grace to get us to our greatest desires, and I mentioned four little seeds in the beginning, our communion with God, our spiritual friendship, the way that we play well with God's gifts in this world, and the way we give our lives away. This gathering helps us do some of those deepest desires. As we gather and God's God's presence meets us, knowing that his presence also permeates the earth, and it might meet you in your car as you drive by yourself, but in this place, it's special, it's different. His kids are meeting together around him. We are a religion of relationship. We need the presence of God with each other. There was many difficult things about COVID, but one is that it, for a moment it paused our presence with each other. And in that pausing of our presence with each other, you feel all kinds of off. We're not made for independence, but for interdependence, for presence with God and with each other. We are called to stir each other up in love and good works. And yes, it can happen anywhere, but here it happens intentionally, under the word of God, in the presence of God, in the presence of each other. Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't give up meeting together. And I think his heart is like, guys, I know this is hard. I know it was hard to drive here. I know it was a fight to get here, and maybe it was a literal fight in the car to get here. But he's he's urging us, like, guys, this may be hard, but don't give up meeting together. You need this more than you think. We are a people of presence. So early on as Jesus was raised from the dead, there was just a, Few people that knew about it, the rumors hadn't fully spread yet, and there was a couple of disciples, the Bible describes their heads kind of low, hanging low in despair, and Jesus comes up to them, and he's disguised to them, and uh, so they start a conversation. They're even a little irritated with this person who doesn't know what's going on, and uh, so whatever happens, uh, they begin to take this seven-mile walk with the disguised Jesus together. And by the time they get to where they are going, they are grabbing Jesus' arm and they're saying, you've gotta stay with us, you've gotta stay with us. They pull him into this room and there he 
takes the bread and he breaks it. And their eyes are open to a resurrected Jesus. He disappears and they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us when he walked with us and he opened the scripture? And that's what the Lord's Day does. It's a place where we can literally come and our hearts can burn inside of us because of who he is as the scriptures opened to us. Long, long ago, there was a rebellious feast that our first mother and father had where everything broke and sin rushed into the world. And here we are in the middle of that feast and this redemption feast that's coming where all things are gonna be made new, all tears are gonna be wiped away, all injustices are gonna be made right, all the things that were stolen from your heart or your life are gonna be restored because of what Jesus does. In the meantime, we're here. We're here today, and we get together around the feast that inches us along toward the great feast. Would you guys stand up with me?